Hello, my name is Melissa Hoffman. I'm a public health associate at the Medical Society of the State of New York, and I am joined today by Dr. Linda Chakraverti. Dr. Chakraverti is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Today, we will be discussing the mental effects the COVID-19 pandemic has had on children and teens. My first question, Dr. Chakraverti, is the COVID-19 pandemic has caused a dramatic increase in mental health conditions, particularly in children and teens. Can you discuss the role of physicians in recognizing and treating mental health conditions exacerbated by the COVID pandemic? Thanks for that question, Melissa. As you know, physicians have a powerful role in assessing individual and family mental health through both our existing relationships with our patients, but also through our understanding and awareness of resources in the community. Primary care doctors through their well-child visits as well as urgent visits, ER doctors through emergency visits, and specialists during their specialty consultation and follow-ups all have the potential to screen and identify for a variety of mental health issues that COVID-19 has raised and assess what kinds of interventions would be most helpful for their families. Among the different assessments physicians can make, Highly important is to assess the social determinants of health, which include food security and housing stability, as the pandemic has resulted in significant economic impacts on families. Furthermore, as we know, the impacts of remote learning and connectivity challenges are additional determinants on health. The effects of racial and ethnocultural stress and trauma are especially pronounced during this pandemic as well. And there have been direct effects such as violence, against Blacks brought to the attention of the wider community, as well as hate expressed against Asians during this past year. Our awareness as physicians of community resources and their ability to connect patient families to these resources is especially important at this time. Thank you, Dr. Chakraverti. We move on to the next question, and that is, can you please describe some factors that influence how children and teens react? So there's many factors that influence how kids react to stress. This would include the individual child or teen's temperament, which is a collection of characteristics that someone is born with, such as emotional reactivity, frustration tolerance, sensory experiences, activity level, adaptability, and resistance to change. A parent's ability to manage stress is an important predictor of a child's ability as well. This is illustrated by a recent study known as the Risk and Resilience During COVID-19 Study. In the study, it was demonstrated that adolescents' mental health was inextricably linked to parental functioning and that resilience among teens rests on the quality of relationships with important adults in their lives and that deliberate attention is needed to the well-being of adults in home and school. A child or teen's connectedness with other people their age is also an important factor in their ability to respond to stress. In addition, a family's ability to manage stress is a predictor of a child or teen's ability. Family characteristics that contribute to childhood resilience, which is defined as the ability to bend but not break in the face of extreme stress, includes being able to maintain routines and rituals with flexibility, showing adaptive problem solving and having beliefs or attitudes that facilitate coping within the family. We know that vulnerable children and teens are more likely to have trouble managing reactions to the stress of COVID-19, and these children warrant further attention with regards to their ill effects. These children include highly exposed 
children, uh, children of highly exposed first responders and healthcare and essential workers, economically disadvantaged and homeless, those in foster care, juvenile justice, migrant or refugee children, those with pre-existing mental health disorders, such as pre-pandemic depression and dis anxiety, and those who've had previous traumatic events or experienced prior disasters are more vulnerable. Developmentally and physically disabled children are also more vulnerable as are physically injured or medically ill and kids who identify as LGBT. And perhaps most importantly, kids who've lost a family member to COVID, especially if the death from COVID is an apparent or primary caregiver. These are children who warrant the most attention at this time and would need probably the most supports. Dr. Chakravarti, just to add on to that question before I move on to the next question, a lot of predictors are showing that once the pandemic has decreased or pretty much subsided, which we're beginning to experience now, a lot of people and healthcare providers in particular are going to experience an influx of mental health issues post-pandemic. Do you think that applies to children and teens? I think that it, there's definitely concerns that a lot of children and teens, as well as families, have been impacted already. That doesn't mean that we won't be equipped as a society to try and manage that. And as healthcare providers, we do have tremendous potential to try and manage some of these different challenges that we're expecting. We will certainly ourselves be stressed because we know during the pandemic, more acute surges this past year in New York in particular, we were stretched very thin and it created a lot of stress on us as caregivers. However, as you say, that now that things are opening up and there is some decline in terms of the acuity of the pandemic-related stress, we will have a chance to take more of a closer look at things. The return to normalization should not be underestimated because once you're able to resume routines and rituals that we expected to be able to have that could not during the pandemic, that actually has tremendous therapeutic value in uh, people in general. And it's expected in general that after most disasters, a majority of people will recover, even though there are, will be tremendous levels of reactions and distress during different parts of that event. And in this case, the pandemic is a much longer event, but most people will recover and it will take time. And that's the big question is how much time? That's, I think, some of the unknowns. I'm going to move on to the next question, which is, besides depression and anxiety, what are some of the prevalent mental health conditions that have increased in children and teens owing to the COVID pandemic? So there's a number of health issues in general that have been of great concern during this pandemic. A recent review of studies, 58 studies on a variety of disasters and relationships to cardiometabolic health reveals that most studies showed increased risk to disaster survivors for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and obesity. 
This month's issue of the journal Pediatrics includes a study looking at over 500,000 pediatric office visits in a Philadelphia hospital system over a two-year period before and during COVID-19, and they found that obesity increased overall among children and teens, but more so with Hispanic, Black, publicly insured, or lower-income patients. During the pandemic, they were obese, more so compared to white, privately insured, and higher-income patients. And mind you, before COVID, these disparities with regards to obesity already existed among these groups and were only made worse by the pandemic. So a great concern during this pandemic is the entity of social isolation and especially profound for some youth, which is greatly concerning. There's a study spanning many decades, over 51,000 patients looking at the effect on social isolation and mental health. And it revealed that loneliness and mental health problems are clearly associated, and the strongest being associated with depression. Loneliness may be associated with future mental health problems for years to come, and the length of isolation was a predictor of future problems. So you do have to be very aware of the level of isolation and the possibility of loneliness that children and teens may be experiencing and how that may increase their risks for more mental health problems. There's, of course, been an extensive loss of human life, livelihood, lifestyles, and social rituals. So a condition that we need to be concerned about is grief, and that's particularly profound among racial and ethnic minorities who experience higher COVID-related deaths, hardships, and continued challenges. Recall also that among communities of color, grandparents are often raising children, and the higher rates of mortality from COVID-19 among the elderly has had devastating impacts on these families. It is important to recognize grief and the need for children and families and communities to be able to process and express their losses, as some of this has been compromised or delayed because of all the lockdowns and the social distancing. As physicians, we need to screen children and teens for COVID-related losses and help connect families to supports that will be able to help them grieve. As mentioned, death of a parent or primary caregiver is a great concern as those are the most vulnerable children. For losses related to loss of routines and rituals, it's important for us to acknowledge these losses and help imagine opportunities to remedy those losses, at least in part for the future. Some other problems that have been increasing have been the phenomenon of adult drinking, especially among women. This is of great concern because women have experienced significant stress with more un- and underemployment, more pressures for childcare and assisting with remote learning at home and taking care of the home and working from home. Parental well-being, as noted earlier, is tied closely with children's well-being and problematic management of stress, such as through alcohol misuse, can have highly deleterious effects on kids. There have been some concerns about increased risk of child abuse and domestic violence due to known factors that increase these problems, such as poverty and isolation. Screening at health visits and monitoring for children's exposure for this kind of violence is highly important because the access to children by schools the usual source of screening and referral to child abuse registries has been considerably less due to COVID-19, which puts more responsibility on healthcare providers. Problem 
which is related to mental health, of course, is the disruption in sleep schedules that kids have experienced, especially among teens. It was a problem before the pandemic, but made much more worse. And we have to bear in mind that it's not a benign thing to have poor sleep because mood and attention problems are related to quality sleep. And if you don't have good sleep, you can have more of those difficulties with regards to school, with regards to relationships in the family, and so on. The remote learning, which has been sort of the main way that schools have managed earlier during periods of lockdown and to to some extent still, it's been more prevalent among public school goers as well as ethnic minorities. And that's been evidenced to be detrimental to mental health. The CDC had a study called the COVID Experiences Survey done in the late fall of 2020. And they found that the parents of children in virtual instruction had more frequent emotional distress, sleep problems and loss of work, job concerns, as well as childcare challenge and conflict between work and childcare compared to parents who had in-person learning. Children's mental health for those in combined or full virtual instruction had worsened and they spend less time outside with friends, um, socializing with friends outside, getting free play or activity and decreased physical activity was noted in kids who had combined or full virtual instruction. So the conclusion of that survey is that children not receiving in-person learning and their parents might experience increased risk for negative mental, emotional or physical health outcomes and they might need additional supports to mitigate the effects of the pandemic. In-person learning may be especially important for children and parents' well-being. We have to bear this in mind because a majority of Black, Latinx, and Asian American public school students have been fully remote this past year versus just 25% of white students, which potentially widens future disparities with regards to mental health in the population and in, this, in many cases, these populations are already harder hit by the loss of COVID-19. We have to be concerned that while suicide deaths from all ages decreased last year by 5.6%, there's been a concerning trend in rising numbers over the last 20 years. And there's further research that's shown that black suicides have gone up in particular. So more attention is very much needed for this population, as well as other vulnerable groups that I mentioned earlier who are at risk for negative mental health outcomes and the importance of suicide screening and urgent referral for mental health assessment and treatment is there amongst us for, as health providers. Dr. Chakraborty, are there any unique mental health aspects of COVID compared to past infectious outbreaks or disasters? I mean, there's certainly similarities that would include extreme fear and avoidance that an invisible enemy causes tremendous anxiety. And this panic and rumors developing have been seen previously in SARS outbreaks as well as H1N1. There's health behaviors that are driven by epidemics, and that can include stockpiling of medications or supplies like oxygen. Disinformation and false narratives have always been a problem, but very much so now with COVID-19 on the internet and social media. 
And these have resulted in risky behaviors like beliefs that injecting bleach or dangerous treatments would cure COVID-19. We've also seen the effects of powerful groups in the community and political polarization that's influenced behaviors around masking and distancing, as well as um, acceptability of the vaccine. And in a lot of cases, there's very black and white thinking around coronavirus infection and its prevention and treatment. We know that in prior epidemics, people have been shunned or mistreated, and that was the case that we saw in Ebola. Families sometimes rejected loved ones who were exposed. We're right now seeing a rise in um, hate against Asians and violence as a result of misinformation around the nature of COVID-19. And in the case of this pandemic, what is, is highly unique is that our innovations in technology have advanced very rapidly. I think innovations are always driven by need, but whereas before the pandemic, telehealth was very difficult to perform and get reimbursed for. And now it's an acceptable and in many cases, highly efficacious way of providing health screening and treatment, telepsychiatry and teletherapy, as well as many new apps for mental health and wellness are more widely available than in the past to teens, children, and their families. While we've spoken about the ill effects of screen time in youth many times before this, screens have allowed for increased social connectedness through social media, gaming, phone and video apps, aside from bringing work and school into homes. With extended isolation, the reach of screens has helped many young people get through this time, though we know that connectivity and access has not been uniform, and large stretches of the population have been without this access and suffered the ill effects. The other unique aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic is the protracted length of the pandemic, which has had a moving timeline and at times an unclear endpoint with repeat surges and lockdowns. Many other disasters, both man-made and natural, are often discrete events after which recovery can begin. This is not so in the case of COVID-19, and it's made the duration of distress from the pandemic far longer than expected. And of course, the ability to recover has been delayed. We spoke about grief as a serious condition from, from this pandemic. And there's a bereavement calculator that every COVID-19 death has nine survivors. So we can imagine how many millions are going to need our extra support during this time and the important role that we have as physicians to provide and facilitate this kind of support. Again, thank you, Dr. Chakraverty. That was an excellent answer to that question. My final question today is, are there any resources you can recommend to physicians to assist their child and teen patients? Sure. As a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I am very much encouraging all health providers to use the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry website. And there's a variety of helpful resources available there, which include a series called Facts for Families and that includes information on a variety of common mental health issues. It also includes tip sheets. And there's a particular one called Helping Children Cope While Sheltering in Place by Dr. David Fassler, who's a ACAP member. And there's a tip sheet. Um, there's tip sheets available on many different professional websites 
there's a nonprofit committed to helping children grieve entitled the Dougie Center. And they have a tip sheet that's really useful called Supporting Children and Teens When Someone Dies of COVID-19. I did mention earlier about the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatrists, but the American Academy of Pediatrics has a variety of very good resources, including interim guidance for pediatricians and primary care providers on how to manage the mental health effects of COVID-19. So I encourage you to have a look at those. And there's a resource that we use a lot as child psychiatrists called the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. And they have quite a lot of resources for professionals with regards to all kinds of trauma, everyday traumas, as well as things like disaster and more infrequent events. They have sheets for the public, they have materials for professionals. So there's a wide array of materials that one can get from the NCTSN. There's also a resource called Children and Screens, which is a research-driven organization that looks at the effects of screen time on children, good ones, good effects, bad effects, all types of effects. So they do frequent webinars that are recorded, and we can watch those at our convenience. And they're highly informative. I would recommend those as well. Thank you, Dr. Chakraverty, for that comprehensive discussion on the mental health effects the COVID-19 pandemic has had on children and teens. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We encourage you to please check out all of MISNI's podcasts. They range in topics from our weekly update on governmental affairs to emergency preparedness, a variety of COVID topics, as well as Veterans Matters topics and vaccines. Have a good day.